Welcome to the Oil and Gas Global Network's Legal and Risk Management Podcast with Sarah Stogner, where each weekly episode touches on legal and risk management issues impacting the energy sector. Visit our website at www.oilandgaslegalrisk.com for more information on today's episode, past episodes, and upcoming OGGN events. Today's episode is sponsored by ThoughtTrace, developers of Alley, an artificial intelligence platform that reads and understands energy agreements and contracts to quickly find critical data. Good afternoon. This Good. is Sarah with the Oil and Gas Global Network. I'm here with Cheryl Cornick. She is a partner at Lisco and Lewis in New Orleans, and she's actually a section leader of the energy litigation section. So thanks for joining me. Well, it's my pleasure. So we went to lunch a little bit earlier, and we started talking about typical nerdy lawyer stuff like I like to do, right? And I live you, for typical nerdy lawyer stuff. Right? I know, it's so much fun. So today, I, the reason I reached out to you for the interview is uh, I saw recently some news about pipelines and you are my go-to person for pipelines. So thanks for joining me. I appreciate that. Yes, pipelines have probably been in the news more recently because projects that in the past had kind of sailed under the radar are now getting more attention. So what's your background? How did you get into litigating pipeline issues? Well, I was in the energy litigation when I came to Lisco right out of law school. We have a partner here who has since passed away, but had been very involved in the pipeline industry since the early 70s, named Billy Hines, who had done that. And we had a, a group of lawyers who had done land right acquisitions for pipelines, had done expropriations for pipelines, advising on the legal issues, some regulatory issues. And I worked some with him when I was first here and kind of grew into the practice. So we have a small group of us who kind of specialize in that now. Right. It's funny. I kind of came into the indemnity and insurance coverage stuff the same way. I was interested in the oil and gas aspect of it and then found a partner mentor Mm -hmm. You kind of fall in love with the, the subject matter. So for those that are listening, and, and we have a wide variety of listeners, right? From we've got land guys and operations guys, midstream, mm-hmm. you know, it all. But today I really wanted to talk about under Louisiana law, because that's where you're practicing mostly, right? It's in, yes, almost all in Louisiana. Okay. Is kind of the requirements for a pipeline to even go in, right? So kind of just walk me through, say uh, I'm a midstream company and I'm interested in putting in a pipeline. Well, generally, I mean, I'm not going to talk about the business side of it because that's something that my clients deal with. But generally, you you have to get your pipeline permitted, generally, both at the national level and at the state level. And that's something generally clients are pretty much aware of. Where I focus is on Uh, Once you have a route where your pipeline wants to go, where you want your pipeline to go, how do you acquire the various rights from the landowners and other entities that maybe own the property that you want to cross? And that's a process of trying to negotiate to buy the rights you want. And if you can't get the rights you want through negotiation, you have an expropriation process. In other states, they call it condemnation. Louisiana typically has its own terminology for law, and they call it expropriation in Louisiana. But in Louisiana, generally, if you're a pipeline that is transporting natural gas, crude oil, or 
what they call hydrocarbons in a liquid state, you generally have the right to expropriate. The law is pretty favorable for you there, and that gives you an advantage when you're going to try to acquire the rights because you know that as a last resort that you can expropriate. But you have to go through the proper steps to do that before you get to that level. And so for those that aren't familiar with right-of-ways and servitudes, what's the difference between just going in and... and Hold on, I'm going to stop and, and tell everybody. I apologize that the sound doesn't seem quite right because we're sharing a microphone. So bear with me. I forgot to plug in the microphones. It's my fault, but she had such good stuff to say. You're going to have to buckle through it. So back to what I was asking is what's the difference between servitude and just buying the property? So A servitude is in Louisiana considered a real right in the property. So it's a form of ownership, but it's not full ownership. You're buying the right to use a portion of the property, usually outlined. For a pipeline, it might be a 30-foot wide strip of land you're buying it for a specific, you're buying the right to use it for a specific use. For example, to put a pipeline there. Right, you, you can't could, go hunting. Well, right, right. Or if, if I buy a pipeline right away or servitude, I can't go hunting on it. But on the other hand, the landowner can still use that property for any use that's not inconsistent with what I'm doing. So we have, we in Louisiana have pipelines that go beneath properties that's, that are used for hunting, properties that are used for farming. We have pipelines very deep between properties that actually have construction on them. Right. So underneath the Mississippi River. We right. have pipelines underneath the Mississippi River, underneath bridges, all sorts of things. And it depends on how you lay the pipeline, what you can do on top of it. But generally, you're buying the right to put the pipeline through. It's a real right. It, it's not something the landowner can end after a period of time unless you have that in your agreement. But generally, what happens is you get the right as long as you use it. If you go 10 years without using it, the default is 10 years, you lose the right to use it. Okay. So first step, we figured out where we want to run the pipeline. Mm -hmm. Now we've contacted the landowners. Is that how what you goes? do is you have to make, a, and this is not a simple step, you have to make a good faith effort to try to figure out who owns each tract of land. And that is not a simple process because pipelines typically go through property that is undeveloped, that may not have had landowners even visit it in a long period right. of time. So the title may not be very clear. You may have had title two or three generations ago. People don't open successions. So you might have a situation we've seen where you have well over 100 different landowners that you think you can identify. And to acquire a real right, like a servitude is, you have to get rights from 100% of the ownership. So even someone who owns a tenth of a percent of an acre of undeveloped property, you have to sign that person up right. or expropriate from that person. Before you can start construction. Before you can use that tract of land for your construction. You may you can start construction as soon as you have full ownership of a particular tract, but you're a, technically a trespasser if you go and start work on a piece of property where you don't have complete up. up acquisition of from all of the landowners. Right. So if you know you don't have 100% and you go in, 
you risk damages. You risk you risk being considered a trespasser. Yes. And if you are considered a trespasser, what kind of repercussions does that mean? It depends whether you're a good faith trespasser or a bad faith trespasser. If you're a good faith trespasser, you didn't have a reason to know you were trespassing, you made a good faith effort and someone comes up that you had no way of knowing was out there, it's just the value of the rights you're using. So it would be what you would have had to pay them to acquire the rights. If you're a bad faith trespasser, then the law says in Louisiana terms, the fruits of the trespass. And we've had a case or two where that has been interpreted to mean the percentage of your profits that are attributable to that tract of land. Right. So if you've got um, a 1% owner that you knew wasn't signed on and you start moving hydrocarbons through it, then theoretically your damages, you could be responsible for 1% of the value of that. Right. If you say you have a mile long pipeline and it's on a 10th of a mile tract, then then you go down to a 10th. And then if that person owns 1%, it's 1% of that. But it's all based on your at least in some cases, it's all based on your profits. So the numbers can look pretty high. Right, right. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so what's the, and you know, I think one of the, my favorite parts about being a lawyer is avoiding litigation and helping mm-hmm. clients to just that counselor at law part where you sit down with them and say, okay, you know, here's what the law is. We, we know what the law is. But now in practice, kind of how does that work in your experience what's the best way in practice what what if you are a pipeline trump company trying to acquire rights in practice what you need to be very most concerned about is to make sure that you follow the process set out in the law generally the law is very favorable to pipelines in terms of you're allowed to expropriate and the law is pretty favorable in terms of how much you have to pay. The, the areas where you can get into trouble is there are certain prerequisites before you get there. There are certain notices that you have to send to the landowner. There are certain things that you have to include in those notices. You have to make an offer. You have to wait so many days after the offer to do something else. It's those kinds of step-by-step processes that are outlined in the law that you need to make very clear that you follow in negotiating with people. Because if you don't follow the processes and then you go and try to expropriate, the first thing the landowner is going to say is that you didn't do the process right, you have to start over. And in most of these projects, time is the biggest concern. It's trying to get things done timely so that you can get the pipeline up and running as soon as you're able. Right. And so yeah, I think in the news right now, there's a couple cases that are pending and arguments are being made about how do you value what the property's worth or what the, the actual right of way is worth. Can you tell me a little bit about how Louisiana law treats that for purposes of determining what the real value of the property is? Sure. The Louisiana Constitution says you have to be paid to the fullest extent of your loss. And that's generally done on normal appraisal type bases. So if I have a, a, a property, undeveloped property that's worth $10,000 an acre, and my pipeline right-of-way, which is typically 30 feet wide, is going to be one acre, that's going to be $10,000. And since I'm not taking the full property, because the landowner can use it for farming or whatever, they may it may be 90% of that, that, that that's paid. Now, if there's 100 people that own that, the value of that acreage is divided among 100 people. That's generally how you pay for the property. There's some cases, people have tried to say, well, you should be paid the amount 
that other people pay to acquire right away. It's, this is like the going rate to right. acquire a pipeline right away. And there's a Louisiana Supreme Court decision saying, no, because you don't know why people pay others to avoid litigation. There's a settlement aspect to it. It's going to be valued on the appraised value of your property. There are two other possible components. One is what they call severance damages. So if putting my, prop, my pipeline on a 40-acre tract of land essentially changes the use of all or part of the acreage I'm not taking and lessens it, you can get paid for that as a landowner. For example, what happens a lot of times is, let's say it's 40 acres, the, the highest and best use of it is as industrial property. I go across the top corner and cut off kind of five acres because of my pipeline, you're not gonna be able to build over those five acres. The landowner can say, those five acres, I can't use them in the same way anymore, so pay me for those five acres too. That's severance damages. The landowner has the burden of proving those. But it's typically, again, an appraisal type thing. The other is if there is business on the property and the pipeline coming through will disrupt the business, you can get business losses. The courts are pretty strict about making sure you have a, the right proof for that. In other words, I can't, you can't say, oh, I was going to put a subdivision here. I had really thought about it, and now I can't, so pay me for the subdivision. Right. The, it, the, it has to be, you know, you have to have started paying something for people to plan out the subdivision. It can't be what the law calls remote and speculative. It has to be something certain that's in process to get those kinds of business losses. So if a company, they've decided, okay, this is where we're going to put the pipeline, and they've gone in and they've, they, a landman has found all of the potential owners, right? And there's 100 owners. And you've got 99 <laughs> people on board. What do you do about that? That has happened many, many times. And there are a lot of people who, for one reason or the other, are on principle or they don't like pipeline projects or whatever it is, decide, I don't care how much money you pay me. I'm going to not give you the rights. And there are literally situations where the value, their, the value of their interest in the property is less than $10. But they will not sign, even if you offer them $200 to sign the document, they will not do it. So in that case, you have to go to trial and have an expropriation trial. There are expedited deadlines for doing that, but the fact that they are, that their interest is worth so little doesn't change the fact that you have to go through the process. Right, and unfortunately then you end up paying lawyers. Correct, correct. And so, and, and theoretically if what you offer them before the trial is less than what the court actually determines their rights are at, their rights are worth, then they can get attorney's fees from you. So you want to, for those kinds of people, you want to make a real good faith offer to them beforehand. That's above the value you think their property is. Give them some extra incentive to sign with you. And, and that can sometimes avoid that trial. The other way you can avoid a trial is if a landowner makes you go to trial to expropriate. The only thing the court can award is what we call a legal servitude. It's sort of bare bones. There are no special provisions in it, nothing like that. Sometimes you, when you negotiate with a landowner, you can include 
to do a negotiated servitude, you can include sort of special provisions. You can include provisions that will bury the pipeline extra deep if you want to do certain kind of development over it. Or we know you're farming, so we won't go on your property during the harvesting season. You can include all right. those kinds of things in something that's negotiated. Right. Or during hunting season, yeah, I, I we w- won't go and, and move your deer stands. I <laughs> have actually, I have actually had a trial over property that was used for hunting and whether or not the pipeline was going to do construction during deer season was actually a big part of the negotiations. And sometimes that can be an incentive for people to sign with you voluntarily rather than making you go to trial. Right. And so it's important that companies have lawyers that are knowledgeable about these issues and and know not only what boxes to to tick, right, to legally make sure that they're doing what they need to do, but also that practical experience of knowing if you're in rural Louisiana, for example, what somebody in a certain parish might value as far as hunting rights. Or, exactly. you know, you go in and like any good land man knows, and if you've got a turkey hunter, you cater to the turkey hunters, right? <laughs> well, and, and the other thing is, in Louisiana, a lot of times, the areas where pipeline cross where the areas where pipelines cross are areas where pipelines have crossed before. And they may be large tract of land owned by pretty sophisticated landowners. And they have lawyers. And I have seen us deal repeatedly with the same lawyer uh, for landowners. And that, in a way, makes it easier because they can tell their clients, you know, they know that if you have to expropriate, you're going to get the rights. And if you get the rights, there's this is what the value is generally going to be. And, and so you can give those extra incentives even to a more sophisticated landowner. Right. You know, I've had landowners who do logging operations. And sometimes maybe they want, if we're going to use one of their private roads to construct, maybe they want us to do a little bit of reinforcing yes, on the road. And that helps, that sometimes helps smooth the way for us to get the rights that we need. Right. Okay. And then... Do you do any litigation or any work on after a pipeline's in place, just Mm -hmm. kind of some of those ongoing responsibilities that pipeline companies have as far as maintenance and things like that? Yeah, we do that kind of thing as well, because very often, especially in those negotiated uh, servitudes, there are provisions in there that require you to do things after the pipeline construction is complete. And... Sometimes if they're significant enough, there's a threat landowners will make about you losing the servitude rights, which in a large pipeline project, that can be pretty significant. Right. So, if you don't adhere to the contractual requirements, then exactly. it's just like any other contract. Is there a breach of contract? Well, it, right. There's it, it Because this is a real right, it, it's a little more complicated than okay. that. What kind of a breach will make you lose your real right? But... When they're specially negotiated, sometimes there are provisions in there that say you have to do X, Y, Z, and if you don't, I can send you a demand to do it, and if you don't, then you lose your rights. That's also another reason why one of the the big things that we do is before you sign these voluntary agreements, it's a good idea to have somebody who's looked at them before look at them to see if you're include if the landowner is trying to include something that's going to be a trap or some kind of problematic situation for you down the road. Right, because you know. even if you think you know what it says, until a court has said that's what it means, we never know. Well, right? and the other thing, for example, very often we'll see a request from a landowner that it, when you're finished using the pipeline, you'll remove it. 
Okay. And it doesn't sound like it would be problematic, but removing a pipeline can be hugely problematic. If you're in wetlands, getting the permits to go in and remove the pipeline can be hugely problematic. It can be hugely expensive. And damage the environment more Correct. than leaving it properly Correct. And so you think, you know, you are, yes, maybe you're, you're negotiating a provision that's not going to come up for 30 or 40 years, but you, one of the one of things you want to do is look at that down the road and see if that's going to come, come up to haunt you. Another thing that you want to do to prevent a problem down the road, sometimes with, and this is maybe a little unique to Louisiana, sometimes you... you can't find all the owners of the property. Like I've, we've seen situations where, oh, Aunt Martha moved to California 30 years ago. I think she had some kids, I don't know. So what do you do? Right. You know what there are owners. Like, there's a provisions in the law where you can expropriate against unknown heirs or unknown owners. You basically, the court appoints a lawyer to represent them. You go to court, you prove up your case, you prove up the value and you, you deposit the funds in the registry of the court. So that's like the little unclaimed money website, right? You can go and see if you are owed money. It's, yeah, it's not exactly the same thing because it's, it's in the registry of the, but it's a similar concept. Right. Yeah, it's in the registry of the court where the property is. Right. Interesting. So say that you've got everybody on board, right? It's time to start. Mm-hmm. Who has authority to regulate the actual construction of the pipeline. Is that state, federal? How does that work? Especially in wetlands, which is a lot in South Louisiana, there's federal permitting that has to happen. And you get different federal permits depending, you know, for example, crossing the Mississippi River might require one kind of permit. Going through wetlands might require another kind of permit. And those are through the federal, appropriate federal agencies. That process used to be, in the last 10 years or so used to be very, has gotten, had had gotten very slow. The process has gotten more expedited over the last couple of years, but it's a, it's a completely separate process from landowner acquisition. There's also state regulatory processes, depending on whether you're a natural gas pipeline or whether you're a natural gas liquids pipeline or a crude oil pipeline that are less difficult to get through. You're essentially considered a common carrier. Okay. And it's there are provisions when you have to make yourself necessarily available if people want to transport on your line. That's regulated statewide. And we can give you advice on how to do that and, and, and deal with that. But it's there's a there's a statewide regulation depending on what kind of pipeline you are. And there's also a federal regulation regulation permitting process that is more key to what kind of land you're going through. Interesting. Yeah. So it's getting the pipeline, I'm sorry, getting the landowner approval is really just... It's completely separate. And the first step... Well, one of the first steps, right? You've got all these moving parts going on at the same time. You you need every little piece of the puzzle. It's like every large project, and the, the permitting process is usually going on at the same time as the landowner acquisition process is going on. I mean, you know, like any large process, we we're often involved in timelines to timeline it out, and a lot of times we're we aid in giving ideas on how long either permitting is going to take or how long landowner acquisition is going to take. So a company can build that into its pipeline and have some kind of a, an idea of how long it's going to take to complete the whole project. That would also, of course, go along with construction. And, you know, construction is sometimes a, 
uh, a catch and miss depending on when you acquire tracks to land. I mean, ideally, you want to construct in the order the pipeline's going to go, so you go from one track to another. Sometimes you can acquire certain tracks quicker than others, and, and maybe you save time by going from track to track to construct. Right, logistically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I am go- I'm sure I'm going to call you again because <laughs> this is not my area, but I think that it really does play into so many of the issues that we see all through the energy sector, right? And uh, it's important. And I think pipelines, especially out in the Permian where I'm spending a lot of time these days, pipelines are on people's minds. I think there's a lot. Ben, in the last eight to 10 years, there's been much more national attention paid to pipelines. In Louisiana, we've seen a lot more because of some of the industrial development. For example, in the southwest part of the state, in Lake Charles, that kind of area, there's been a lot of industrial development. Plants along the Mississippi River in this part of the state. And a lot of the pipeline development is because those plants need to be fueled. Right. And so pipelines are being constructed to bring fuel to those plants. Yeah, I mean, natural gas is a lot cleaner than some of the alternatives. Well, I know some of them are natural gas liquids, right. like an ethane line or something like that, which is needs to be there. To, and that's why pipelines are considered almost a utility, the way electric lines are. And that's why pipelines are allowed to expropriate in Louisiana, because they are so crucial to those kinds of projects. You're not going to be able to open a new big plant unless you have the feedstock that's going to operate the plant. Right. And so that's why they consider you a utility. We've also had pipeline concerns here for transporting oil or gas out of the field when you're producing it. So there's those considerations. That's because onshore Louisiana upstream development has not been as robust in the last several years as it had been when, you know, crude oil prices were through the roof. Those kinds of pipelines, I haven't seen as much of that development as we have seen for fueling plants. There's been a lot of, for example, development in the southwest part of the state. Right. Okay. So our podcast is sponsored by Thought Trace. And I ask everybody kind of for their Thought Trace thought of the day. And I think my question to you is, you know, what's, what do you think if kind of a crystal ball 10 year, you know, what's, what's kind of the big picture for people to be thinking about and, and looking for kind of impacting these, these issues? Well, I, I think the trend is, as you've seen in different parts of the country, moving to, towards certain groups having opposition to pipeline projects, maybe on environmental issues and that kind of thing. And of course, there's always the response that, Pipelines are a much better way of transporting these fuels than any other way. They're much safer. Much safer than trucking or the alternatives. So if you're planning a project, and even if you are expecting some kind of a public pushback, the best way to handle it is to keep, I like to say, to keep your head down. Don't look for a lot of attention, but go methodically and do things the right way. You know, Dot your I's and cross your T's. I always say you want to be known for being fair with landowners. And I like to represent companies that want to be fair with landowners. And you get that kind of a reputation. It's going to ease a lot of the public outcry. Right. And I think one thing that makes me really proud about the oil and gas industry is most of the time, people really do want to do the right thing. We're not always great at public relations for ourselves, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? But most people in the industry really value being good stewards. We all live in the community and and I think we need to do a better job of kind of touting 
our good works. Well, I'm very, I'm very proud of, of my clients that I can go, when I'm negotiating with a landowner and they'll say, you know, oh, I think I want so much money. And I can say, look, my client wants to pay you what's fair. Right. So if you think it's worth this much money, give me some backup. Yeah. Give me something, and and I will go, and I and then I become your advocate because we want we know a court's going to give you what's fair, so right. we want to give you what's fair. And when I can represent people who take that attitude, that makes me proud of the industry yeah. I represent. Absolutely. So if people want to learn more or get in touch with you, how can they do that? Our website is www.lisco.com. My name is Cheryl Cornick. Uh, K-O-R-N-I-C-K. You can contact us through the website. Our New Orleans office number is 504-581-7979. Thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate it. It's been fun. Yeah. And we have a Saints game tonight. So who that? Yeah. (laughs) If you guys could do me a favor and like leave a review for this podcast. That's the best way for us to get exposure and let other people discover how much fun we can have reviewing insurance and risk management issues.